So today, we're finishing a sub-series, a little mini-series right on the Gospel of John. We're preaching through the Gospel of John, mini-series, sub-series, bear fruit. This is the final message in this series, which has been a powerful one for me personally, and I trust for many of you guys as well. The image of bearing fruit is what Jesus is talking about, and the context that Laura just finished reading finishes this section. It's Jesus' final farewell huddle with his disciples. It's just a conversation that he's having with the 11. And, and he's been using this metaphor for a while that, that serves to hold the whole thing together. It's this idea that we're called as followers, as disciples, to bear fruit. And bearing fruit is this image, we've said, for the good results that come from the life of a believer. When they bring benefit to the lives of others. It's, it's, what's, it's what Amy's sharing about. It's, it's bearing fruit with your life. Is when you, it's this image for, for being good to others and advancing the cause and the mission of God in the world. That's what we mean by bearing fruit. And we started out in this short series talking about the secrets of bearing fruit. Remember, abiding in Christ, praying, loving one another. Then we spent a couple weeks talking about the obstacles to bearing fruit. We, we talked about how these obstacles, and Jesus told us that they're inevitable and that they're terrible and that they're respectable at times. They come from even respectable sources, but in the end, they're endurable. And then last week, we started talking about what Jesus is highlighting, these resources we have for bearing fruit. Last week, the gift of the Spirit. This week, we'll finish with another resource. And there's this incredibly important connection. You, you, you heard it in the songs we were singing. You heard it in Amy's testimony. You heard it last week. You heard it from Jesus. You heard it from God's Word. This is, there's this incredible connection between the Holy Spirit and bearing fruit. Are you seeing that in this series? There's this incredible connection to the, to the gift that the Holy Spirit is to us and bearing fruit. And that's a great lesson for us to see because when we live in the Holy Spirit the fruit of the Spirit is generated in us naturally. You're, if you're in Christ, you're going to bear fruit. You have to bear fruit. Because the Spirit of God is working in you in such a way that you're going. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's generated naturally. I want us to see this as we finish this little sub-series. I want us to see that the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, bearing fruit, is a very natural process. Too often, though, I think that Christians think of bearing fruit in more of an artificial process. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, let's just take one of the fruits of the Spirit. We'll talk about love because Jesus is talking about love. And as Christians, we recognize that we should be loving. We should be more loving. And so we set out determined to attach some love fruit to our lives. And so, so we start asking the question, which is not a bad question to ask, but we start asking, what are the things that I do that are not loving? And so we come up with this and we determine, I'm going to stop doing 
those things. And, and, and I'm going to start doing some loving things. I'm going to stop being so selfish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my kids' lunches in the morning without complaint. I'm going to stop. I'm going to be willing to, to do what other people want to do and lay my interests aside. And I'm going to do this. And you know, we resolve, right? I'm seeing some smiles. We resolve to do this. And our resolve lasts at least a couple hours, right? Sometimes a few days. But it's like we're, we, we see what we need to be and we, we engage in this artificial process of bearing fruit in our lives. It's like someone in a garden. We've been using the, the illustration of a garden. It would be like stopping at Giant this, this summer, buying yourself a, a, a bucket of tomatoes, getting a stapler, going out into your garden and saying, there's no, there's no fruit on this tomato plant yet. Well, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to, and you take a tomato and you attach it on there and you wire it up. You staple it on there or you, or you wire it on there and you, you put all the tomatoes on there and you attach them and you walk away thinking you did something. It doesn't work like that, family. Bearing fruit is a natural process, not an artificial one. It's not like we're putting on love artificially or superficially. In Christ, in the Spirit, we're actually becoming more loving. That's fruit. That's what, that's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about when we talk about bearing fruit. Sinclair Ferguson, write this one down. I don't think I gave it to the, to, to the team to put this quote on, but I've read this quote and I thought, man, I just want to think about this quote. It, it, it's, a, it's a deep one, I think, but I want you to just write this down. It's real simple and think on it. Sinclair Ferguson said this, when we think about the Christian life, we need to learn to do the natural things spiritually. And we need to learn to do the spiritual things naturally. In other words, when, when you're in Christ, when Christ saves you, it transforms your entire life. So that the things that we call natural are normal, are actual spiritual things. And the things that we render spiritual should actually be natural things. See, we too often compartmentalize our lives. Some of us did it today. We got up, got ready for church, and put our church mask on. We showed up today. We ready for church, because this is what it looks like to be in church. And Jesus is with you whatever you're doing, whether you're changing diapers, or, or whether you're sharing your testimony with your lost and dying uncle. We need to learn to do natural things spiritually, and we need to learn to do spiritual things naturally. And Christ is reminding us that the fruit of the Spirit often grows in inclement weather. Is that how you say it? Inclement. Inclement. Bad weather. And he's been real clear about obstacles. 
He's giving it to him straight. Even in this section, did you see it when Laura was reading? She keeps talking about sorrow being transformed into joy. He keeps talking about trouble in the world, but you're going to have peace. Why? Because he's overcome. So Jesus is not, he's not, uh, he's not talking about bearing fruit in a vacuum, like in a world where we can kind of isolate our things, ourselves from trouble. Deep sorrow that includes weeping, ugly crying, lament. He says in verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, you will lament, you will experience Deep grief and sorrow. And while that's happening, the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but... Love that conjunction there. But your sorrow will be transformed into joy. So Jesus is not promising a fruit-bearing life in a vacuum. Jesus is saying the fruit-bearing is going to happen in a world that's filled with sorrow and troubles. The fruit of the Holy Spirit often grows in inclement weather. It grows in the soil of sorrows and trouble. So it is in nature. Fruit bearing requires some work, some rain, some sun, some wind, some manure. You got any manure in your life right now? Physical fitness, where it's going to require some stress, some resistance, some soreness. Jesus says it's going to take place. Bearing fruit is going to take place in a real world with real troubles, real sorrows, real stress, real worry. It's not going to take place in a vacuum. And I want us to see, I want us to notice that Jesus is highlighting. Sometimes we, if, if you're reading the, the text and just looking at, at what we're talking about today, we've been five weeks looking in the series, you can kind of forget what the, 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 the theme and the thrust of the entire section was. But Jesus has been talking about three things over and over and over again that are going to be found in disciples' lives. He keeps talking about love. He keeps talking about joy. He keeps talking about peace. He keeps talking about love. He keeps talking about joy. He keeps talking about peace. If you remember Paul's letter to the Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit includes, among those things, love, joy, and peace. The Bible talks about love, joy, and peace repeatedly. In chapter 3, he began highlighting these three things, love, joy, and peace, and he's highlighting them again. He's talking about certainly joy, sorrow turning into joy, and peace that you're going to find in a world that has trouble. And he's saying that these three fruits, love, joy, and peace, never exist in a vacuum. They never exist. They never grow in a vacuum. People who aren't Christians would love to have these things too without having the Christian life. 
These are the three central aspirations of the human heart. Love, joy, peace. Everybody's looking for love. Everybody's looking for joy. Everybody's looking for peace. People naturally want these things because God created you to want them. God created you to need them. And Jesus says this kind of fruit is possible. But you can't isolate yourself from the world full of troubles in order to get it. We're going to find true love, he says, in a world full of hatred and hostility. We're going to find true joy, but we're going to have sorrow commingled. The gospel can bring you joy, not by isolating you from the world, but actually while you live in a world filled with brokenness and trouble. Does anybody believe that? Anybody experiencing that? Has anybody ever experienced joy while you're experiencing trouble? If you're in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to find true peace in a world full of trouble. How do we bear fruit when we're experiencing obstacles, when we're frustrated, when we're struggling? What resources do we have? What resources has God given us? Where do we look when we want to see and experience the transformation of sorrows into joy? Where do we look for those things? What are the resources that God has given us? Oh, Lord, help me. One of the most popular courses, the most popular course ever offered at Yale University in its hundreds of year old history is a course uh, fondly called or nicknamed the happy course. The happiness class. Originally it was psychology, psych 157. It was called Psychology and the Good Life. It was already a popular class prior to the pandemic, but when the pandemic hit, they offered the class online, and since that time, three 3.3 million people have signed up to take the happy course. People want to be happy. The course requires a few things. Students have to track their sleep patterns keep a gratitude journal, and perform random acts of kindness. And as you do these things, you're supposed to monitor and journal whether these acts actually lead to a positive, uh, an increased positive mood. And what they're finding is that it actually does do this. That it, it, it leads, doing these things actually leads to an increase in, a, in a, a positive change in your general mood. They summarize it by saying the important, they talk about the importance of sleep, the importance of gratitude, and the importance of helping other people can actually make you happy as they define happiness. Now, I want to be the first to say, 
because I'm going to critique this class in just a minute. Far be it from me, as educated as I am, to critique Yale University's class. But I'm going to critique it in a second. But before I critique it, because maybe some of you are wanting to critique it too, you can learn things from classes like this. You can, you, there, there's some good things in this class that you can learn. I don't think they will ultimately bring you the joy that your heart is seeking for. But you can learn some things. For example, you can learn uh, the value they teach of negative visualization. And what's that? Well, for people who struggle with get gratitude, they actually teach you this, this tool of negative visualization. So, so I'll help you do it right now. You think about your home, okay? Your home in Chester County, Pennsylvania. You got that visualized. Then I want you to visualize or imagine a worst case scenario. You've suddenly become homeless with no safety net. The, 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 the tool is supposed to make you grateful for what you got. There's nothing wrong with that, guys. That's, a, that's probably a good thing to do. It can help people with gratitude. I think it probably can. But the ultimate problem with the happy course and with self-help resources and self-help books is that though they can teach you a technique and a way and a method that can lead you to joy, peace, and love. They, they think that if they teach you these things that, you, that that's what's going to be what's going to come about. Self-help materials all have this in common. The place where you look for joy, peace, and, and love is, I'm going to guess, it's called a self-help book. You look in here. That's the problem. You're looking for those things that your heart desires, love, joy, and peace, and you're looking in the wrong place. What self-help resources generally teach is that love begins when we begin to love ourselves. That, that joy is something that takes place when you begin to be happy with yourself. Peace comes from yoga or the practicing of emptying the mind so that the pursuit of love, joy, and peace, which is what all of us are after, is a project of the self. And Jesus is teaching the disciples something completely contradictory to that idea. The Bible teaches over and over and over again, if you make the pursuit of love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, a project of the self, this is the guarantee. You will never find it. You'll never get it. Because the Bible teaches us that the self is far worse than we think. The self is not a good source 
for solving one's problems. The self is not a good source for finding true love, true joy, true peace. The self is not a good source for finding eternal joy, eternal rest, eternal peace. The Bible tells us that the self is far worse than we even think. If I've learned anything in 20 plus years of pastoral ministry, it's this. You're far worse than you tell me you are. And this leads us to the gospel. This is what the Bible says. We are dead in our sin, number one. Dead in sin. Number two, powerless to save ourselves. Number three, children of wrath. And number four, if you persist, you will go to an eternal destiny separated from God. But, but the good news is this, though you are far worse than you ever thought, you are far more loved than you ever imagined. I'll say it again. You are far worse than you ever thought, but you are far more loved than you ever imagined. That's the gospel, church. Powerless to save ourselves, we look not to self, we look to a power, a, a, a righteousness, a person outside of ourselves. We look to Jesus. That's why John wrote this gospel, that you would look to Jesus in faith and let go of all of your efforts at self-improvement, grab hold of Jesus, and have life in his name. Then church. We begin to abandon the quest of self and we focus our gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the foundation of our salvation. It was Luther that said, we suffer from incurvitas. Latin. You don't have to be a language scholar. Incurvitas. It has something to do with curving. What we suffer from is we curve inward. We, that's that constant gazing at self. We curve in inward on ourselves. So self-help says look a little deeper into yourself. Keep curving. Keep looking deeper into yourself. And the gospel says there's no hope in looking inward, but only in looking outward. Bringing us out of a sense that the resources are within me and bringing us to a sense where we see that the resources are outside of me. The resources are found in Jesus. There are no resources in ourselves, church. What is in Christ is now beginning to be produced by the Holy Spirit in us. You with me? Too deep? You with me? All right, I got a whole nother sermon to preach, and I've only got a few more minutes. So I had three points that I was going to give you. 
They were going to be quick, and now I don't know what to do. Hold on. Hold on. Don't tempt me. Let me say it this way. Jesus said we have, he's telling the disciples, we have resources for bearing fruit. Last week he talked about the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to say here, what I'm trying to summarize, everything I just told you is what he's saying now. One of the greatest resources we have for bearing fruit is a focused gaze on Jesus. You got it? That's easy. Lou, you got it. It's, it's, that's what he's saying. We got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We got to focus on Jesus because when we focus on Jesus, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what comes your way, no matter what God has sovereignly ordained, no matter what trouble you're passing through, no matter what sorrow you're enduring, no matter what trouble and tribulation that, that Jesus talks about that's real, he's not going to take you out and set you into a vacuum. Bearing fruit is going to happen while you fix your gaze on Jesus in a world that's full of trouble and sorrow. we got to fix our gaze on Jesus. The keynote of this section from Jesus is that believers in Christ will face trouble in this world, but they will have the triune God as their great resource for facing everything that the world throws at them. That's where we find our hope. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Let me just give you the three points without explaining them at all. (laughs) This is what we have. How is Jesus a great resource for bearing fruit? One, One way that he is a great resource is he tells us we have his personal presence. We get the personal presence of Christ. Oh, I want to tell you so much more, but I'm going to tell you this. In Christ, we rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, because the presence of Christ is rooted in the resurrection, an event which happened in history and can never be undone. And so therefore, the hope you have in a resurrected Savior is a hope that can never be taken away from you. So so we have his presence You have his presence with you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and remember that you have his personal presence. Second thing you have, maybe you guys like this. I'm getting this sermon done fast. We have limitless provision. Limitless provision. Let me ask the band or Casey and Darren to come up. Limitless provision. Jesus is talking about this in verse 23 or verse 24. He's talking about how we have our prayers answered. If we pray in his name, friends, here is what Jesus is talking about is in Jesus. You fix your gaze on him. You have limitless provision, endless provision. Do you believe that? Maybe the reason why you don't believe that is because your your idea of prayer isn't in line with God's idea of prayer, which is to ask for things in the name of Jesus while abiding in Christ. This is not, boy, I wish I could have a Porsche. Boy, there's nothing wrong with Porsches. I really like them. Boy, I wish I could have a Porsche. 
wish I could have a Porsche. Boy, I wish I could have a Porsche in Jesus' name. We just tack that on there. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. He's, he's asking, he's saying, when you pray, when you're abiding in Christ, you're so aligned with Christ that, that the prayers you pray are in line with what he wants you to pray. And so then he answers prayers. And friends, when God answers your prayers, Amy can be an illustration. When God answers your prayers, your heart fills with joy. Now, sometimes when he answers the prayers of other people, but I'm talking about when you pray, when the Holy Spirit leads you to pray and you get an answer to that prayer in the midst of all your trouble and you experience this limitless provision, joy fills your heart no matter what's going on in your life. Too often, friends, we confine our prayers to vague generalities. I listen to myself pray. I listen to some of you pray. We pray in such vague generalities that we wouldn't know if God answered our prayers if he chose to. We don't pray specific enough. We pray such self-centered prayers, and then we tag Jesus' name onto the end of them. This is an opportunity to see you're fixing your gaze on Jesus, the resource for bearing fruit, and in him you have limitless provision. This last thing you have is what he ends with. We got this victorious position. This victorious position, it's right here. I'll just read it. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Christ you are victorious. In Christ, you're victorious. Why? Because he is victorious. Because he has overcome. This is not all about we overcame, we overcame. Yeah, we overcame. But it's because Jesus overcame. He said, I have overcome the world. Not you have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And therefore, because you're in me, you've overcome the world. Let me just end with this. Just keep in mind who he's talking to here. He's huddled with these disciples, and, and these disciples, uh, you, they are going to fail miserably in a couple hours. Jesus is being ironic, and I think Laura did a good job of that. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? <laughs> That's what he's saying. This is irony. Oh, you guys believe now. And then what does he say? He quotes Zechariah 13. I'm telling you what's going to happen in a couple hours. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter and ain't nobody going to be with me when I go to my cross. But their failure is not going to be the end of them. Why? Because they're fixing their gaze on Jesus and in Jesus they have a triumphant position. Do you ever fail? Do you ever not do what you want to do? You do the things you don't want to do. You don't do the things you should do. You have a Savior. You have one that has obeyed perfectly in your place so that you live out of a triumphant position in Christ. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is the, the position of a disciple that fails at times. The struggle in bearing fruit for Jesus for 10 of the 11 of the guys that he's talking to is now, well, for, for 12 of them or 11 of them, it's going to be long and bloody. For 10 of them, it's going to bring them to a martyr's grave. These guys are going to do it. In the power of Christ, they're going to follow him to the end. 
So I want us to think of ourselves as we finish this barefoot series. I'm huddling us up the same way that Jesus huddled up the disciples. Team Brandywine Grace, our goal isn't just to win a game. Our goal is to participate in the purposes of God in the world. And fruitfulness is faithfulness with what God has given you. Not what he's given me. Not what he's given over here. Faithfulness in what God has given you. So the Bible talks about talents. Everybody's got talents. Some people God gave two talents. Some people God gave ten talents. What it's going to take for us to bear fruit in this community is for everybody to take the talents that God has given them and give it all you got looking at Jesus. Not, see, we get paralyzed looking around at the way other people, the number of talents they've been given, and all shucks, I don't feel very talented. I don't feel like I can do that. I, 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 I. It's all about I, instead of just using what God has given us. So I'm telling you right now, I would rather have a team of two talent players who give me everything they got than a bunch of 10 talent players who only give five talent worth of effort. It's not great gifting, church, that God blesses. It's great godliness. It's great likeness to Christ. It's the faithful effort to offer whatever you've got. It's doing the best you can with what you got. Look into Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You might need a superstar to win the Super Bowl, but Jesus doesn't need a superstar to fulfill his purposes in the world. He's doing it with ordinary people just like you and me. He'll take a bunch of ordinary people with mediocre talent and he says, will you give me your whole heart? Will you give me all you got? Because I can work with you. He says, will you bear fruit empowered by my spirit? Because I can work with you. You just got to give me all you got. You got to use what I've given you. And then watch me use you in powerful ways to bring about fruit bearing in this world that's hostile and full of sorrow. The call is to bear fruit. That's the play call. I'm calling it again. What's the play call? Bear fruit. It's the bear fruit play call. (laughs) What's the secret? It's right here where Jesus ends. You look to Jesus. The resources for bearing fruit are found in him. Now let's listen to this song and worship as we end.